Mr Squiggle was a kids TV show I used to watch. There's a picture there in your uh, printout. Uh, The song said he was the man from the moon but when I was a child I knew he was really a puppet. Uh, Kids used to send in pictures that were squiggles, lines and shapes and when Miss Veronica used to put the picture up on the blackboard, Mr Squiggle would go to work. He'd add a line here and a triangle there, he'd join up two boxes, he'd add a moustache and a curly tail and he'd finish with a big circle. You'd still have no idea what he'd drawn until he'd say, upside down Miss Veronica and then she'd turn the picture over and suddenly you could see it. A chicken wearing a flower on its head riding a unicycle would suddenly appear before your eyes. Mr Squiggle could see the finished picture all along and eventually, as he added enough detail, all of us were able to see it as well. And it's like that with Jesus' teaching. There's a group of people who are watching and listening and he begins with a puzzle, something that doesn't make sense and then he starts to fill in the missing pieces. A few circles here, a box there, a line and a few dots There's questions and answers, there's misunderstandings and slowly confusion becomes understanding and unbelief becomes belief, at least for some, even though there are plenty more people who don't understand. And by the end of the chapter he's explained what it means to believe in him, to to feed on him, which is the same thing. How someone can be guaranteed eternal life, the life of heaven, by trusting him trusting the one who sent Jesus as well, the Father. The problem is Jesus is the one who's come down from heaven and he knows things that we can't even imagine, let alone understand. And he's trying to communicate heavenly puzzles, heavenly things with earthly human words, heavenly truths with earthly pictures. He can see it clearly but nobody else can. And so our challenge as we hear these words is to try to work out the puzzle, to see the picture and then to trust Jesus. Jesus begins his teaching in verse 25 where we started our reading but it helps if we understand what comes before it in this chapter that will help with the puzzle. Chapter 6 begins with Jesus being followed by a large crowd, his teaching and healing and in verse 4 we find out it's nearly time for the Passover. Uh, The Passover was when Israel remembered God rescuing them from Egypt, escaping from slavery, led by Moses. And so the people had Moses and national deliverance on their mind. And so during the course of the day, Jesus does a miracle. He feeds a crowd of thousands with two small fish and five bread rolls. There's bread for everybody, everybody, all from Jesus just like Moses did in the desert when God sent manna. But this is even better because it wasn't just a taste, it was enough food for leftovers. And the people are impressed Uh, and there in verse 18 they're so impressed they think that Jesus might be the prophet to come. They think he might be the second Moses. Way back in Deuteronomy, Moses passes on God's promise that God would send a prophet like Moses. And the Jews have been waiting for this second 
Moses ever since. And so when they see Jesus providing bread in the desert, uh, just like Moses did, they're excited. Here's a new Moses to lead them uh, out from the Romans, just the way the old Moses led them out of Egypt. But Jesus knows they've misunderstood the puzzle. Uh, They've got it upside down. The feeding is a signpost but the people look back to Moses instead of looking forward to Jesus. Back to the Moses and the bread that doesn't last rather than forward to the new Moses and the bread that will last forever. Yes, they're right, he is a prophet but he's not the revolutionary leader that they're after. He's much far greater than Moses. And so verse 15 says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He runs away from that wrong-headed expectation. Uh, Verse 16, a little bit later that night, there's another piece to help us understand who Jesus is. He's bigger and better than Moses. There's the miracle on the water uh, Moses parted the Red Sea and everybody walked through the, on dry ground but Jesus does something even better. He walks on top of the water just as easily as if he'd been walking down the road. He's bigger and better than Moses. He provides bread in the desert. He controls the sea. But he's not just better than Moses. He's actually God walking on the sea. He's Lord of the sea. In the Old Testament, Job 9.8 says that God the Father also walks on the sea, which is interesting. Job 9.8 says, He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. God is the only one who treads on the waves of the sea and here's Jesus doing it. The power of God. No wonder he commands the disciples, don't be afraid. It's that same power and care that Jesus shows in your life as well, in the storm that you face. And Jesus tells us also not to fear but to trust him. But let's move on. We come to verse 25 where we started reading. The storm is over. And the crowd who've been fed have caught up with Jesus again. But they're only interested in full stomachs. They're not actually interested in following Jesus. And so Jesus says in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And he goes on to say that he has a better bread than the bread they ate yesterday. In fact, he doesn't just provide bread for them to eat, he is the bread. He's the bread of life, eternal life, bread that's better than manna. He is the food that lasts compared to food that spoils. You see, when we trust Jesus, he doesn't just give us life until the next meal, the way bread does. He is food of a a completely different nature. He is food that gives eternal life. You can't get food like that anywhere on earth. It's no wonder the people struggle to understand. And so they ask the first 
of lots of questions. If you're telling us to work for the food that lasts forever, what's that work? What, should, what work should we do? And then Jesus answers with the piece of the puzzle. It's the, it's the key that unlocks everything, if you like. If you have your own Bible, you may even like to underline verse 29 because it's the one that helps explain all the other difficult things. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Trust Jesus. Trust his words, trust his work. That's the way to get the life that lasts forever. That's what it means to eat the bread that Jesus gives. It's not bread the way we have normal bread, it's, it's bread that gives life. Uh, it's trusting Jesus. That's the same point we've seen every week, isn't it? What do we do? Trust Jesus. Every week of John. But the crowd aren't convinced. Uh, and so they say to Jesus in verse 30, you say you have God's approval? Prove it. They're thinking back to Moses because God helped back up Moses' words with miracles. I think the crowd are thinking about their stomachs again. They want some more bread like they did yesterday. And so Jesus says, I can do better than manna. Verse 33, he says, The true bread that comes from heaven gives life to the world. Not just Israel, not just one group of people. He's come to give life to the world. But they're still confused. So question three, if you've got something better than manna, give us this bread. They're thinking about bread rolls. But Jesus explains a little more in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go thirsty. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. There it is again. Belief means eating bread. Just the way physical bread satisfies physical hunger, Jesus satisfies your real hunger, your spiritual hunger. He's the way to real life. Not just life that outlasts death, but life now that satisfies us, the way bread satisfies. When you come to Jesus, when you believe in him, your searching is over, you're full. Your reason for living is to follow Jesus. It's why you were made. And when you find Jesus, your appetite for anything else is lost. Your thirst is quenched. Is it like that with you? If you've found Jesus, does everything else leave you feeling empty? Power, possessions, clothes, success, does it all fail to satisfy you? Does it leave you feeling empty? And when you do all of those things with Jesus, when you do them his way for his glory with him walking with you, uh, there is a new freshness about life as you work, as you shop, as you earn money, as you give your money for Jesus, as you uh, work for following him. Life with Jesus has a new goal, a new richness. Possessions have a new purpose. Decision-making becomes easier because you're doing everything for the glory of Jesus. Your priorities become simpler 
That's what it means to eat the bread of life that Jesus offers that will satisfy you. If that's not your experience, maybe you need to ask yourself whether you really have come to Jesus and trusted him. Well, his offer is there, verse 36. Anyone who comes to me who believes in me will never be hungry or thirsty. But what if people want to come but don't have the strength or the willpower? What if Jesus is out of their reach? Well, just as well, it's not all up to us. In verse 37, not only does God offer us the bread, but he makes sure his children take it. He makes sure that we come to Jesus and that we trust him. He doesn't just offer the food, but he makes sure it it gets to us. Verse 37, Jesus promises, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Imagine a dad who is providing food for his baby. Uh, He sits the baby in a high chair, he goes to the cupboard, he gets out a jar of baby food and he gets a spoon from the drawer and he puts them in front of the baby and he goes, there you go, eat up, enjoy. Well, no, dads don't do that, do they? Dad prepares it, he opens the jar and maybe heats it up a little bit and then he spoons it into the baby's mouth. And God does the same thing for his children. He doesn't just put Jesus there, the food and drink that satisfy us and then leave us to find Jesus on our own. He doesn't do that. He provides Jesus and then he leads us to Jesus. All who come, uh, no one, all that the Father gives me will come to me, Jesus promises. And then down in verse 44 he says it in a slightly different way. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That word translated draw, it can mean a few things in English. It can mean influence or encourage. That's sort of soft. But it's quite a strong word actually in Greek. In other places it's translated drag. So in Acts 21, Paul is dragged out of the temple by a crowd. And in James chapter 2, the poor are dragged into court by the rich. It's quite a violent word. So Jesus is saying that the Father drags people to Jesus. He opens our eyes to understand the puzzle. He gives us the gift of faith so that we can trust Jesus. And he's, a, he's effective. Verse 37 says, All, everyone the Father calls, come, comes to Jesus. There's a 100% success rate when Jesus calls, uh, when the Father calls. It's an irresistible call. Everyone God drags, responds with faith. But that's only the first half of the verse. Look at the second part of that verse. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus will keep whoever comes to him. He will never let go of them. Everyone who comes to Jesus in faith, everyone the Father draws, will be kept by Jesus himself. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? It's a comfort Jesus will cause every true Christian to persevere to the end.
once a Christian, always a Christian because Jesus holds them fast. In verse 39 he says it this way, This is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up on the last day. That's a wonderful comfort when we doubt our salvation. Often we do it because we take our eyes off Jesus and and we look at our own performance. If we've truly turned from ignoring God and accepted his gift of salvation, if we're following and listening to Jesus, then we can have a real assurance that we belong to him and we always will. And yet, while Jesus has been saying these things to encourage, it also seems to confuse. So in verse 41, some people say, who does Jesus think he is? Come down from heaven. Jesus' answer is that his authority comes from God, verse 43. He's not making things up, he's not saying things on his own. He doesn't do anything unless the Father is behind it. No one understands the Father the way Jesus does. And just to prove it, he explains a little more of the puzzle in verse 51. Verse 51, he he, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That's all the same. But then he adds, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We already know what it means to eat the living bread. It means to believe in him. But now Jesus changes the picture. Bread becomes flesh. He's thinking about believing not just in his words but in his work, believing in his sacrifice, trusting his work on the cross. He's using the language of the Passover lamb. Remember, it's nearly Passover And the Passover lamb was sacrificed in place of people and the blood was spread on the doorposts to protect the household from God's judgement. And then the flesh of the lamb was eaten in gratitude to God who'd saved them. That was the Passover. And when the people asked the question you and I would probably ask, how can we eat his flesh? Jesus explains it even further or confuses it even more. Verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Like a lamb to the slaughter, Jesus obediently endured the cross And for those who come to him, who follow him, who trust his words and his work and his goodness, his death, his flesh and blood, that's what he's thinking about when he says, eat flesh and drink blood. He's saying, trust his death. His death is the means by which we receive life. That's the bread we must eat, the flesh we must eat and the blood we must drink. How do we eat and drink? Well, we trust. We trust what Jesus did on the cross. All of those words uh, don't seem to make things clearer. In fact, 
seems to confuse people and offend people and in verse 60 beyond our reading today that the crowd all drift away, it's just too difficult. Uh, They give up on working out the puzzle. It seems like the father hasn't been dragging them to Jesus until only the disciples are left gathered around Jesus and in verse 61 they grumble you know, where is everybody? We, we thought you were building something big. We thought you were going to change the world. Uh, but the people seem to be disappearing. And so Jesus points them back to the end goal. He says it's not always going to be small like this. Uh, at the end you will see the Son of Man ascending to the Father's right hand, verse 62. Bigger things are coming And once again, verse 63, he points them back to his words. The words I give you are life. And then he says in verse 67, so what about you? Are you going to leave as well? But Peter answers them in verse 68 with wonderful words. Yes, the road's tough uh, and there's not many people with us and it might be confusing and it's not quite what we expect. He says... Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus does. He does have the words of eternal life. We need to have Peter's attitude, especially when life doesn't turn out the way we think or maybe we don't understand everything. Uh, Thinning crowds around Jesus happens today too, doesn't it? Churches are perhaps not as full as when you were younger. The media seems to be not just uh, ignoring us, they seem to be against us. It can be difficult being in the minority, being misunderstood and seeming like we're irrelevant. But Peter's words reassure us the only place to turn when we're uncertain and weak is Jesus. He is a solid foundation. Only in Jesus is eternal life found. Only in Jesus are we confident of eternal life now. We shouldn't be confident in church vision statements or fancy sound systems or more paid ministry staff or in new buildings. We shouldn't be confident in big crowds. What are the things that you're hungry for? popularity, wealth, success, pleasure? Or are you hungry for the eternal food that Jesus offers? He says, I'm offering you something that won't spoil. I'm offering you a different sort of leadership, a different sort of life, life that comes from God, that satisfies you. Come to me, says Jesus, believe in me and you'll never hunger or thirst. Trust him in the storm and he will bring you home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these confusing words and there's bits or maybe a lot that we don't understand but what is clear is that Jesus calls us to trust him, to come to him and he will give us life. Help us to do that. We thank you for those clear promises that all you draw to Jesus will come to him. 
and that Jesus will never let them go. What a great comfort that is, especially for any here who are going through difficulties. Uh, Please be with them and comfort and strengthen them, we pray. Pray, help them to see Jesus and to trust him. Uh, We thank you for Peter's words. Help us to have Peter's attitude that there is nowhere else we can go for eternal life. Nothing else can do it. Uh, Help us to be around Jesus, to come to him and to live. Amen.